Well, we're going to finish up 1 Thessalonians, hopefully, this morning. 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 5. We're going to be beginning with verse 12 in just a few minutes. When you think of the church, what do you think of? A lot of people think of a building, a massive building, maybe a cathedral-type building. Some people think of a denominational structure. Some people think of a historical uh, uh, system of some kind, uh, the, the church system. But when the Bible speaks of the church, it speaks of it more in terms of being a family. We're, we're brothers and sisters. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, this is the way you pray, our Father. Our Father. The very first word is our. And uh, so that means that God is my Father. He's your Father if you've been born again. And so it means we're brothers and sisters. It's a, a good thought, isn't it? When the Bible talks about the household of God. Now, I know there are other illustrations. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, and the, uh, the church is referred to in some other ways, the body of Christ. But, but it's, it's the family of God. That's why I like our, our kind of our slogan for our church is that we're a family of Jesus followers. That's who we are. We're brothers and sisters. And so Paul ends this letter, like he does many of his letters, with just some practical admonitions to the family. And I guess if I were to call this uh, 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 message something, I'd just call it God's happy family. God's happy family. God wants us to interact with one another as a family. And so he says in, uh, he says in verse 11, Therefore encourage one another... And build up one another just as you are doing. So that's kind of the, the way that he ended that section. He's been talking about the coming again of Jesus. And talked about that in the last few weeks. So he says, therefore, since Jesus is coming back. And since he's called us to be on guard and be ready to be awake. Encourage one another. So we should have a responsibility to be saying to one another, uh, I want to help you. I want to encourage you and build up one another. That's what you're doing. And then he says, these are the final instructions. He said, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you and the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, naturally, I love that passage, wouldn't you think? Because that's talking about the way you're supposed to treat your pastors, the way you're supposed to treat the leaders in your church. And so uh, uh, everybody, I want to get this in first before anybody dozes off because I want you to hear this part. So he says, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. So this gives uh, an idea that there are leaders in the church that have some oversight. They have some responsibility to model the truth that they preach and to preach the truth and then to encourage and to admonish. This word for admonish is what you do with your children. When uh, they don't uh, behave themselves a certain way, you admonish them. Most of us have had to, well, all of us who have children have had to do that from time to time as we were admonished when we were children. And then he says to esteem them very highly in love because of 
their work. So this talks about leadership. I actually want to talk about three ships this morning in this message, and this first one is leadership. Let me just say a word about, uh, uh, about leadership in the church. In the Bible, did you know that nobody in the Bible is called a pastor? There are no pastors in the Bible. You don't have Pastor Paul or Pastor Peter or anybody like that. It's Brother Paul, and, uh, and they're, they're referred to as part of the family. In fact, Jesus clearly said to not call any man by some religious title. You don't call anybody Father. You don't call anybody Lord. You, uh, you refer to one another as brothers. And uh, that's the reason that, I mean, and I don't get mad if anybody calls me Pastor Nick. I, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind that because I know uh, that's the way people have been taught and trained. But I prefer, people ask me, what do you want me to call you? And I say, well, I just like Brother Nick. Just call me Brother Nick. Because that's who I am. My name is Nick, and I'm your brother in the Lord. So that suits me fine. If somebody calls me Pastor Nick, I don't correct them or anything like that. Or if somebody calls me Reverend Nick, I don't correct them. I've been called lots of other things, too, and uh, I just don't correct people. I just let them call me what they want to. But I have a preference, and that preference is brother. In the New Testament, there was not, not any church in the New Testament that had a single leader who made any kind of unilateral decisions. All the churches in the New Testament had what we call a, a plurality of elders. They were men who were recognized by the congregation for their maturity and for their spiritual life and for their love for Jesus. And so there was always a group of men, never tells us how many, could be three, could be five, could be seven. And, uh, and they had the responsibility of leading the church, seeking the Lord's leadership for the church family, and then leading the family training the family, teaching the family, and making disciples of the family so that the family could ultimately become leaders themselves in other small groups. Now, most of the churches in the New Testament were very small. They were, uh, you didn't have mega churches. Now, I know people say, well, what about on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 got saved. That's true, but they broke up into smaller groups and they met in homes, as he tells us there in Acts chapter 2, that they would meet in homes, breaking bread together and uh, singing and fellowshipping. And so, so what the local church does, it does have leaders, it has elders, it has leaders, and, and those leaders have a responsibility to seek God's leadership. Sometimes people ask me, you know, well now, now, where is your church? And I, and I know what they mean. I, again, I don't get smarty pants or anything like that. I just, but I, I think to myself, I don't really have a church. I'm a part of a church. It's not my church. It's our church. It's our family. And so this, this passage encourages people to love those who are in leadership. That would include me. And to pray for those who are in leadership. And why do you need to pray for your leader. I'll just go ahead and say, Pastor, why do you need to pray for your pastor? Well, it's because I know your pastor. <laughs> and I know how much he needs prayer. 
I know how weak he is, and I know how needy he is, and I know how he is prone to, uh, to fail just like everybody else. And so for that reason, you need to love your pastor. You need to pray for your pastor. You don't always have to agree with your pastor because you have a right to be wrong. But uh, uh, some of you got that. But, uh, but, but you do need to test everything that your pastor says by the word of God. Because the truth is, uh, sometimes he is wrong. Sometimes he'll say something and maybe not get it exactly right. So, uh, respect those that labor among you. Esteem them highly and love them because of their work. Because of their work. And then, so that's, that's the first ship. That's leadership. The second ship is fellowship. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. I've said so many times I'm how much I love this family because it's not a fighting family. I've known some families. I've been in some churches that just love to fight. They just wait for the bell to ring. You know, it's like, a, you know, they're ready. They've got their gloves on when they come, and they're ready for the bell to ring. And they'll fight at the drop of a hat, and they'll even drop the hat if they need to. And I, I'm, so, I'm so thankful that our family here expresses love for one another. And my wife and I have said so many times, we just love Bear Creek Baptist Church. We just love the folks here because you love each other. And... Uh, and, and, and I appreciate it. So he says, be at peace among yourselves. And then he says, we urge you, brothers. And then he begins to deal with some, some different groups in the church. He said, admonish the idol. In that day, some of the people had gotten the message that Jesus was coming back. And they thought, well, if Jesus is coming back pretty soon, we can quit work and we just don't have to do anything. And so they just kind of became idle. And Paul is saying to them here, uh, uh, admonish the idle. Those that are just, in fact, uh, I think the, uh, what's the, uh, I'm trying to find the, the Greek on that is the, the disorderly or the undisciplined is uh, a better, is, is, is a better idea. What, what does the King James say? I think it says, uh, Admonish the uh, unruly. Is that what it says? It's, it's unruly? Okay, there we go. Brother, warn them that are unruly. And unruly, it's the word that means to get out of step. It's like if, if a, a, a group of soldiers were marching together and one of them got out of step. Or if a band was playing and one of them, a marching band, and one of them got out of step. He says, in the church family, we're all to be walking in step. We have the same Lord. We have the same goals. We have the same purpose. And so we should be walking in faith together. But he said, occasionally, somebody will get unruly. They'll get out of line, get out of step. Well, you don't throw them out and you don't scold them, but you admonish them. You 
you retrain them, you help them get back in step. And then he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the King James on that actually says feeble-minded. Is that right? Comfort the feeble-minded. I'm glad they changed that translation because for us today, when you think of feeble-minded, you think of somebody that's not very smart. You think of somebody that's... uh, 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 what? Not very smart. And, uh, but, but that's not what the word means at all. It's the word that means uh, faint-hearted. It's the, the word if you... In fact, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, you'll remember that one of the, one of the characters is named Mr. Feeblemind. But he's not dumb. He's, he's smart. It's just that he, he is so faint-hearted he is uh it's hard for him to persevere and to keep on especially when he faces trials and this is the idea and any of you ever face any trials Mm. yeah we all kind of faced some this last few months hadn't we uh and and i have had so many many opportunities in the last few months to encourage people who were faint-hearted People who were uh, were afraid, people who uh, who some were even terrified. Uh, somebody called me one night about eleven o'clock, just crying, just uh, in a panic, and said that her mask had fallen off while she was at Walmart. And she said, "Am I gonna die?" And I said, "No, I don't think you're gonna die." Uh, I said, did anybody breathe in your face or anything like that? No. She said, I got it right back on. So I said, well, just just calm down. She was faint-hearted. And uh, she was not feeble-minded. She was not weak-minded, but she was weak-hearted. And uh, it encouraged her. And I gave her some information, read some scripture, and she said, that helps me a whole lot. By the way, she wasn't a member of the church here, so don't be looking around and say, I wonder who, who it was. I wonder which one of them. No, she was uh, not from our church fellowship. So, and then he says, help the weak. Help the weak. And the idea here is the weak in faith. He talks about strong and weak in, in Romans and also in First Corinthians. And this has more to do with people who are weak in their, 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 their fearful of their liberty in Christ. And they're so afraid that they're breaking the rules, they're disobeying God when they're not. And so it can also have reference to uh, uh, those who may be weak in their, in their walk with the Lord. And this, by the way, the word encourage, where it says encourage the faint-hearted, the word there is an it's a, a unusual word. So I'm going to use this one place in the New Testament, and it means to draw near to and speak calmly. To draw near to, to speak in a near way. And uh, there have been any times in your life, there have been in mine, where I would be very discouraged and someone would draw near and they would speak words. They just blessed me and encouraged me and helped me. And so uh, 
help the weak. And then he says, be patient with all. Be patient with them all. So we don't, we don't get in a big hurry to make people do the right things. We encourage people. We help people along the way. But we do not get impatient with them. So good, good counsel for us as we help one another. And we all need help, don't we? Yeah, we all need some, some help in our Christian walk because the, the walk is uh, challenging. It's sweet. It's wonderful. But it is challenging. Jesus made it clear that in this world you will have testing. You will have tribulation. And all who would live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution, resistance. And so we all need help. And so these, these little short verses really, really help us. And then he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. He's saying that within the family, sometimes somebody may do something to hurt you. And when they do, there's two possible reactions. One is you can hurt them back. You can just get your revenge. You can repay evil with evil. He says, don't do that. But, he says, do good to one another. It's exactly what Jesus taught us. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who revile you and do evil to you. And so especially that should be true in the church. The Apostle Paul says, uh, as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all people. Sometimes it doesn't lie within us, but as much as it does, as much as we can, let's try to keep peace with one another. Somebody said to me one time, I think you're just a peace lover instead of a peacemaker. And I said, well, I hope I'm a peacemaker, but I don't mind being a peace lover, too. I do love peace. And uh, uh, I don't love peace more than I love truth, but I do love peace. I love to see brothers dwell together in harmony and in unity. All right, and then he gives some just little short verses. As a matter of fact, verse 16 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, some of you right away are thinking, uh-uh, I know one shorter. What is that? Jesus wept. Most people say that's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And it is in English. But in the Greek, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's just one word, and it's, uh, it just means rejoice, and then it, it's in a tense that means progressively continuously rejoice just one word so if anybody ever asks you on the quiz show what is the shortest verse in the bible in the greek then you can say well i know that it's first thessalonians 5 16 rejoice continuously rejoice always rejoice evermore and uh That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? It is. How do we rejoice in every circumstance of life? 
because some circumstances are certainly difficult. What Susan is going through right now, you'd say, man, can anybody rejoice in that? Well, let me tell you, I know somebody that is, and that's Susan, isn't she? I'm just, I'm just amazed when I visit with her or talk to her. She says, I'm just praising God. I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. You say, well, how, how can you do that when you're in so much pain, when you're facing such a challenge? How can you do that? Because you set your, the, the Lord before you. David said, I will set the Lord before me at all times. And when we think of who we were, who he is, what he did, who we are now in Christ, and where we are headed. When we think of those things, we can rejoice in every circumstance of life. It seems counterintuitive. There'd be a lot of people who'd say, well, I just don't think that's logical. But it is possible. And I know many people who have rejoiced in some of the most difficult situations. Rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't obviously mean that you walk around with your head bowed and your eyes closed all the time or that you live on your knees, but it means that in your heart you're bringing every thought before him in prayer. That's what prayer is, by the way. Prayer is conversing with God, hearing his word, speaking to him, loving him, living for him. So pray without ceasing. And then verse 18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's some debate as to what the this refers to. Does it refer to giving thanks is the will of God, or does it refer to all circumstances is the will of God? I think it works either way. We certainly know that it's God's will for us to give thanks, but we also know that God is working all circumstances together for our good. And so when some circumstance comes in my life that I don't like, I can say, God, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. When Jonathan Edwards great American Puritan preacher, when he died at age 55, still had many years, had just become the president of what later became Princeton University and would have been a glorious one. It, it was kind of fulfilled the dream of his life. And before he ever started his presidency there, he took a smallpox shot to encourage other people to take the smallpox shot, and he had an adverse reaction to it, and he died. And uh, his wife and their, all their children, they had many, many children, 
his wife called all the kids together, told them, your father has died. And she said, let us give thanks and kiss the rod that God is using in our life at this time. And not, not that it was chastisement or anything, but she saw it as something that brought pain. And she said, let us give thanks in this circumstance and kiss the rod that is applied to us right now. For, she said, the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. And again, that is only possible if we live with a clear view of the sovereign purposes of the Almighty God. But when I know that nothing can come into my life that is outside His hand and outside His will, I can rest in whatever happens, and I can give thanks in every circumstance. And then he says, do not quench the Spirit. That is, do not hinder the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't do things, say things, think things that diminish the flame, the fire of God's Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And, of course, in that day, the New Testament had not been fully written. In fact, Paul was writing it right here. And so God had men in the church who would speak prophetic words but now that we have the scripture, I take this to mean don't despise the preaching of the word. Never despise the preaching of the word. But test everything and hold fast what is good. So as you listen to a message, you test everything. I remember Dr. R.G. Lee, who pastored Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis for about 50 years, and uh, as he got older, did finally retire, I had an opportunity to meet him, and I asked him to come out to our little church out in Horn Lake, Mississippi, and uh, bring a message at a stewardship banquet we were having. And I was delighted to get to spend some time with Dr. R.G. Lee. I mean, he was the, uh, I guess, premier pastor in the south for sure and uh, he said young man I have some advice for you he said I know you'll read a lot of books and you'll hear a lot of preaching you'll hear a lot of teaching and I said yes sir I probably will he said I want you to be as wise as a cow and I said well, I'll try. What do you mean by that? He said, when we would throw our hay out to our cow when I was growing up on the farm, he said, our cow had enough sense to know how to eat the hay and avoid the sticks. And every time I would read a book or listen to a sermon, I'd think I need to be as wise as a cow. There may be some hay in it, and there usually is, but there may be some sticks in it, and occasionally there is. 
So he says, test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. So that just means don't do bad things. Don't, don't, don't do anything that you ought not to do. And then he closes the letter with this benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So he says all the things that God calls you to do, he will enable you to do. He is the dynamic of every demand. He gives us the power to do everything he instructs us to do. Don't ever say, well, I just couldn't obey God. I didn't have the strength. That's not true. If he lives in you, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And then he closes by saying, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Today we'd say a knuckle bump, I guess, a fist bump. Uh, since we can't greet each other with our traditional hugs, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So today, uh, I said three ships. Did you ever? I didn't ever tell you what the third ship was, did I? It was worship. Worship. So leadership, fellowship, worship. And uh, he concludes this letter with these practical admonitions on how to be a happy family of God. And these are real practical. You know, so many times when I do uh, premarital counseling, I'll go over some principles of how to be a, a good husband, how to be a good wife. And one couple said to me one time, well, that just seems like common sense kind of stuff. I said, well, it's not rocket surgery. I mean, rocket science or brain surgery. Uh, it's, uh, it's just biblical truth. Yeah. Husbands, love your wife. Be good to her. Treat her the way Jesus treats his church. Wives, honor and respect your husbands. Be proud of them. Follow their leadership. Children, obey your parents and respect them. Parents, love your children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. See, it's not real complicated, is it? You say, yeah, but it's so hard to do. No, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Our responsibility is to be a vessel through which he can work, a glove into which his hand fits, and he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you have called us 
You've called us to salvation, and we're certainly grateful for that. But you've also called us to holiness. You've called us to obedience. You've called us to sanctification. And someday you will call us to glorification. But while we're in this process, we need these little short admonitions, these words of encouragement, these words of counsel, these words of encouraging one another. And I pray that as we walk in your way, that you will help us to look at one another, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, build up one another, and encourage one another. And I thank you, Father, that he who has called us is faithful. He will do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, are you part of the family? Are you part of this family? Well, you say, uh, how do you get into the family of God? Well, how would you get into your family? You got born into it, didn't you? Yeah, you were born into your family. Or you were adopted into your family. And since people get into the family both those ways, Jesus says, you must be born again. That's one way. And then he says, you have been adopted into God's family, given full authority, full uh, benefit of being in the family of God. How do you do that? By trusting in Jesus, calling upon him, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin demands death, but I believe that you loved me so much that you took my death. You died for me, rose from the dead, and now you give to me your righteousness by faith. I trust in you. If you were to pray that kind of prayer and mean it in your heart, you could leave here today saying, no matter what you could say when you came in, you could leave here today saying, I'm glad I'm a part of the family. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.